Let me open in a word of prayer and ask God for help. Jesus, we ask for your help this morning. We ask that you would, by your spirit, open our eyes to see and ears to hear about your grace and how your grace moves us to do works of righteousness, how your grace molds us into the image of your son, how your grace is about helping us fulfill the mission that you have for yourself and for us on this earth. We ask for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning again. We are... There we go. Thank you. (laughs) All right. Well, we are on question 34. And last week's question, really important question. Should those who have faith in Christ seek their salvation through their own works or anywhere else? No. The answer is just no. You could just have that as the answer is no. (laughs) They should not. As everything necessary to salvation is found in Christ, to seek salvation through good works is a denial that Christ is the only Redeemer and Savior. So... This morning, I have um, most of the, half of the scriptures on the PowerPoint, but I ran out of time putting the PowerPoint together, so you're going to have to use your hands and turn to your Bible or click to your passage you're looking for. But I've got them up in the beginning. I'll tell you, I mean, feel free. It's probably, it's always better, I think, frankly, to have them in front of you. Um, but let me just start with this. We looked at this verse last week, Galatians 2:16. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So what does that (laughs) verse mean for our salvation? It means several things, but what do you see? What does this verse mean for your salvation? It's a gift. Jesus is the only way. What else do you see? No work. Mm. No work. We are not justified by works. There twice. Not justified by works of the law. Last, second to last line, not by works of the law. Exactly. Okay. Let me ask, look at this one. We looked at this last week. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. What does this verse mean about our salvation, for our salvation? It's a whole different letter of Paul. Uh, it was Galatians, this is Ephesians. What's Paul saying here? By grace. By grace. Exactly. From God. Grace alone. Meaning not by works. I, we can't get around this, can we? This is not a result of works. You have been saved by grace, not of 
your own works. Last week, this is what we talked about last week. Nothing new yet, right? So let me ask, this is really what we ended up saying. Salvation is found by faith in Christ's work alone. I think that's blanks if you're tracking along with me on there. Salvation is found by faith in Christ's work alone. All right? That's what it says. So to say, we learned last week to say that salvation comes through anything other than Christ's work. That's to say, God, you did your part, and now I have to do mine to supplement what Christ did. And as that catechism answer last week said, that's to deny that Christ is the only Redeemer and Savior. Because to add your works to it means you save yourself somewhat. And that diminishes from the power of Christ, from the power of God. Then we might have a tendency to boast about our works. Right. Exactly. Isn't that... Yeah, so that no one may boast. Exactly, exactly. And then boasting would be pride, which would be sin. Pretty sure your sin's not going to help you get to heaven, right? So the other piece then, that this just summarizing last week, our salvation does not depend on works. We saw this formula. Tell me, what's the, is there any problems in this then? Anybody got any problems in that formula? Faith in Christ plus my efforts equals salvation. Y'all good with that? Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> that is not true. That is not true. Faith in Christ equals salvation. It should be like this. Faith in Christ plus nothing equals your salvation. All right. That's last week. If that's all true, then what role... Does our works do our, I can't get my grammar right there. What role do our works play? What role, how do works fit into this Christian life? Josh. Evidence of our salvation. Explain a little bit more. I love it because you actually brought up two points there. You first pointed out that it's evidence that I see in myself that there's salvation. But then you turned it around outwards and said that the world would see. Good. What else would you say about our works? Yeah. And I don't even bring that into my notes today, but I was, I was trying to like, okay, what passages? There's so many passages that support this. And... Donna said, pointed out James, which says, faith without works is dead. It's, James says, what, Matt, he brings, this is like the verse that was instrumental to you. In fact, I, I turned to it. <laughs> um, because it says some things that sound even further. Because if you read, I know that we just read all those passages, but if you read James chapter 2, verse 21, it says, was not Abraham our father justified by works <laughs> when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? So some people would look at that and go, wait, I thought we were justified by faith. Faith. But if you read this in the context, he's talking about 
basically to himself and before others. Mm -hmm. That declaring of righteousness that he had with God by faith, the way it's demonstrated to others, because the word justified means declared righteous, yeah. the way it's declared to others is by, and that's why he goes on to say, you see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. Mm. And so there's, a, there's an integral part of genuine faith that can't be separated from yeah. All right. So works are necessary somehow, but not for your salvation. Works show us Christ is doing something in us. Works show others, you both said that, that Christ is in us. Anything else you'd say that works, why we even do them? Mark. Yeah. Right? So Second Corinthians 5, 9, and 10 says, So we make it our aim to please him, whether we are at home or away, for we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Somehow what we do here relates to the future when I stand before, before Christ. These things I'm doing now, and I don't actually get any of, any of that in our lesson today, but that's an excellent point. Anything else? Kathy? Yeah, so that it would, it would point others to Christ, right? Yeah. Okay, we do works because he tells us to. We obey, right? Why would you obey? Why would you do works? Why would you obey then? Because we want to please him. Anything else? Any other reasons? If you go back to that Ephesians 2, 8, 9, just go to verse 10. Shh. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Still in the thunder. You guys, I, the, the, last, the other part that I'm missing is you do works because you love what he did for you. Yeah, gratitude. It, pull, it's like, I want to do this. All right, so that's all my lesson. We'll be done. Let's go have some biscuits. Because honestly, you guys covered it. But let me, let's go into it a little bit deeper and think some big picture stuff here too. So here's today's question. And I'm so proud of you guys because you must read your Bible because you'll see you basically articulated this answer. Since we are redeemed by grace alone, through Christ alone, must we still do good works and obey God's word? Yes, because Christ having redeemed us by his blood also renews us by his spirit. Three purposes, so that our lives may show love and gratitude to God, so that we may be assured of our faith by the fruits, and so that by our godly behavior, others may be one to Christ. You see how you guys, it's awesome. The only thing you're missing is that first one, which is really interesting to me that we missed that, that gratitude, which is really worship. I think we, we as humans, are just prone to duty for duty's sake and we, we that part of that's right because god is my king my creator i do owe him duty but for some reason we often lose sight of wait i i love him because he first loved me yeah
sometimes walk away thinking the words I said saved me. It's a work salvation. I have kids that go to the Baptist church. I mean, the, you know, where you yep. have to be baptized. And it confuses my grandkids because they think that baptism, that actual water, is what saves them. So I think sometimes church and the way we are taught messes with our head. Yeah, I agree. A lot of churches, we get confused. We confuse the people in the churches by bringing up so much things. Like for us, growing up, it was a prayer I prayed, and I put all that stock in. I prayed this prayer at this one point in time. And then in some, it, baptism is essential, and I frankly think the Baptists have kind of missed how important baptism is. But you err on the other side and make it everything. And it becomes now a work in itself taking away from the power of God. Good. Okay, so, as I typically do, what does this mean? Where do we get this from? And why does it matter? Let's look at first at what does it mean. First thing we see from that question and answer is that God saved you to do good works. He, God did not save you because of your good works. He did not save you as long as you keep doing your works. But by God saving you, he enables you to do good work for his purposes. But before we look at those purposes, I want you to think a big picture here with me about what does it mean to be saved. We talk about that a lot, but I think we miss it. Because being saved is not... Now, hear me out, okay? Being saved, when we see what God's doing in the Scripture, is not really about you escaping judgment. You're like, wait, what? That's part of it. And I would even argue that the purposes of being saved in Scripture are not even just about you being with Christ. The purpose of being saved by God is God's project of restoring humankind to the purpose that he intended it. In other words... You are being saved to become what you were made to be. That's the reason you get saved. God is saving people because they screwed it up. He made them, and we're going to see this in Scripture, he made them with a purpose. They didn't follow that purpose. We see the results of how that fails and breaks and everything messes up. He sends his son to restore the purpose Restore people so that they can fulfill the purpose for which they were made. That's why you're being saved. I would say escaping judgment and being with Christ are the benefits of being saved. You get to be with Jesus forever. You don't have to be away from Jesus forever. Those are the benefits of salvation. Salvation is intended for God's purpose, so let's look at that. Matt stole my thunder earlier. We know this verse. Uh, no, this is where I ran out of time. So, look up Ephesians 2. Yeah, right? <laughs> Ephesians 2. And the, the passage we'd been looking through was Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. And we'll read that, but I want you to see that it's right next to the, the, the next thing that Paul says is about your purpose. God's purpose in saving you. So Ephesians 2, verse 8. 
For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For, because, since, we are his workmanship, and here you go, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God made you, he saved you to do good works. He didn't save you because of your good works, he saved you to do good works, right? So this catechism, every once in a while I like to point out problems with this catechism that I don't like. I think some inc- sometimes some things I've disagreed with are incompleteness. This is kind of the biggest hole, I think, in this catechism. The first question in the Westminster Shorter Chasm Catechism needed to be included in this one. What is the chief or the main, the purpose, end of man? What is the most important purpose of man? And the answer is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Those two go hand in hand. Because when you glorify God, it's enjoying him. Because you get to see his glory and you get to make his glory known. That's why you were made. Why God made Adam. And let me show that a little bit. Yeah, so 1 Corinthians 10.31. So flip over, flip back a few pages to 1 Corinthians 10.31. I just want to show you where do we get this from. Oh, there we are. I did have some of them. I'm just, I do terrible at remembering I, what I need. Like when I do PowerPoints normally at work, I have two screens and I can see what's coming up and what's, so I always know where I'm at. And for some reason, I always lose track without my second monitor here. So 1 Corinthians 10.31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Scripture, God's word says your purpose is for the glory of God. That, where is that enjoying him forever, and how is it connected to glorifying? Look at what Jesus says in his prayer in John 17. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. God's desire, Jesus' desire, the Son of God's desire is that we would be with him so that we could see his glory. Why would he want you to see his glory? That's not a rhetorical question. Why do you, why do you think Jesus wants you to see his glory? Go ahead, Matt. I think Everybody's that, scratching their head. Well, I think, I think this, the same reason why... Ultimately, the same reason why if I'm outside, okay, and I see something I think is amazing, I want other people to see it. Uh, like, for example, on the way home every day, every almost every Sunday, my wife doesn't think it's nearly as exciting as I do, but there, when you get to this one curve, there's this pheasant family. Have you yeah. seen the pheasants? Yeah. Every once in a while I'll see that pheasant, and I don't know why, but that just seems amazing to me because I don't normally see pheasants out in the wild, and I drive by and I see that pheasant, I'm like, look at that pheasant right there, that's amazing. And she's usually like, what? <laughs> <laughs> but there's, there's something about when, you, we see, when we see glorious, we want to share 
And I think, see, as Lewis talks about that, we it completes it in many ways. Yes. In the sharing of it and, and yes. wanting others to see it. It's, it has like two functions. I get filled up with this awe this, that he's talking about. I, I just takes my breath away. And I, but the second part is I don't feel right about enjoying it all by myself. I want others. You've got to come see this view. You've got to go see this thing. Like, what is everybody posting pictures of this week online? Oh, you need to get online just for this. The, the new telescope pictures way, way out there. And the most comical response that I have seen is, look what we've done. They're talking about the ability to make this telescope. I heard this morning, this, this uh, John Stone Street was talking about this airplane trip he took with his daughter. They get in, they're boarding, she gets her seat, and she, she loves the window. It slides up, it slides down. She keeps sliding it up and down, sliding it up and down. They take off. She's still sliding it up and down. This is awesome. And they get finally to the flying altitude, and she's still sliding it up and down. She completely missed what was outside the window. She was amazed with the window functionality, but missed the beauty. <laughs> That's what these people are doing with this, these telescope pictures. When I see them say that, I mean, a lot of people are amazed at it, right? But these people that say, look what we've done, I'm like, oh my word, it's Babel, <laughs> the Tower of Babel. Look what we've made a name for ourselves. But you see the glory of God and you want others to see those pictures. Whether they're real or not, maybe that's an interesting question for conspiracy theorists, right? But they're beautiful, whatever. <laughs> um, they're really, really beautiful. But the point is, is you want to share that. You're like not satisfied in just experience for yourself. But it's filling when you see glory. So what stands in the way, though? Like this is God's purpose for us to see his glory, to tell others, to glorify him in everything we do, what stands in the way of that happening? Because does that happen? I Donna. Think I do because uh, I go through life thinking I have rights. And, you know, I, I have a right to feel a certain way or believe a certain way. The Bible says I have no rights because I've been bought. Yeah. Yeah, we stand in the way. Yeah. We stand in the way because... Adam did the first thing, and we all sinned in Adam, it says in Romans. We all sinned in Adam, and that is why we don't glorify God. Right? So how do we know that this is the purpose for which we exist? <sighs> Genesis one let's go there. Genesis one twenty seven. So your very first chapter, very the 27th verse of your first chapter of the Bible. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Okay? God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. 
So why would God make us in his image? Why did he do that? What's the purpose of being made in his image? Two R's. You can remember this. The reason God made you in his image is to reflect and represent. Okay? Because part of the image bearing is that you have aspects of God's character in you. There are aspects that you'll never have. You're never going to be omnipresent. You'll never be omnipotent. You'll never be omniscient. But you have capacity to know, to love. There are capacities in you that are made by God that represent, that reflect his being. So one way you're made in the image and one purpose of it is to reflect him. The other part is to represent him. That's what it means to image bear. That when this book, Genesis, was written, around the same time, ancient Near East area, somebody would come in, conquer, and they would set up their image bearer. This was like common language being used here. And people that would have read this 6,000 years ago, well, a little bit after that, whenever Moses wrote it, because he was writing history even before himself, they would have known exactly what word Moses was talking about when he wrote it. Image-bearing meant these, like, they're called vice-regents. They're like sub-kings. A king would come in, take it out, take, out, take over the area, and set up these regents, these vice-regents, to have, represent him and his power. So, that's the representative of the king that came and took over. That's really what image bearing is getting at, but it also does encompass this fact that we, we kind of represent, reflect God in some way. So representing and reflecting God. How do I know that? Simply from the next verse. Look at verse 28. There are several verbs here, commands, that God wants man to do. God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. And then he lists over everything. God's purpose in having you reflect and represent is to fill the earth with his representation so that his glory goes like over the whole globe. That was the goal. That's why he made you. That was your purpose. And then Adam, you know, go two more chapters, chapter 3 in Genesis, and it all, boom. And what's interesting is, if you just watch and read from Genesis 1 all the way to the end of the book, to the end of Revelation, you see that that is, the purpose is fully restored. Man with God, God with them, his glory filling the earth so that you no longer even need the sun to see because his glory is there and his presence, and it looks like the Garden of Eden covering the whole earth. Um, so if that was God's original purpose, and if Jesus restates that, as we saw in John 17, then this verse in Romans 8 should now make more sense to us about why God saved us. So go all the way back to Romans 8. Everybody's favorite verse to quote when someone's suffering, which is not a good idea to do right away. (laughs) 
Romans 8.28, we know all things work together for good. It's going to be okay. Your cancer, it's going to be okay. Oh, boy. Be careful, people. Don't use this, like, abusively, <laughs> uncarefully. But it's really interesting, though, because the very next sentence after that one we often love to quote shows us why God saved us. Verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, which means he had knowledge beforehand, not knowledge beforehand. That's what we think immediately. But if you look at how the word know is used through scripture, it's not usually used about knowing facts. It's about relationship. He intended to set a relationship with them. He says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, here it is, to be conformed to the image of his son. He predestined you to be conformed to the image of his son. Do you hear Genesis 127 there? That image bearing. That's why he saved us is so that he could restore that image bearing. All right, so if that's the case then now, I think we now see a little bit better why God saved us. It's his work in us. We can't do it because we're already rebels. It's all about him redeeming us to make us back to what he wants us to be. And it can't be because of our works because we can't work hard enough, right? We can't work hard enough to, to do this. We can't make ourselves right. We can't take that image that's broken in us and fix it. That's why you needed a savior. So go over to Titus 3, 4 through 7. So this one's a little bit tricky to find. If you're looking for Titus, go to 1 Thessalonians, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus. If you get to Hebrews, you've gone too far. Go back a page, you're going to find Titus. It's, so we saw in Galatians, Paul said it's not by works of the law. Ephesians, he says, it's not by works. Look at what he says now in Titus. Read verses 4 through 7 with me. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness. Not because of works done by us in righteousness. But according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration... Regeneration is giving you a new heart. Regen means to make new again, to create again. Regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. What is this verse stressing about our role in our salvation? What is this verse stressing about our role in our salvation? We're just recipients. We don't do nothing. Candy's like shaking her head like nothing. We don't do anything. There's no role. Just receive. Receive. Right? So it's really interesting, though. Paul says all that. Now look at the next verse. So all of that, you have nothing to do with it. But now look what Paul tells the people in Titus. Or it tells Titus to tell the people. 
where he's at. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. And it'd be, if, if you're wanting a neat exercise to do this week in your devotions and your time with God, read the letter of Titus and just watch for how he talks about works and how he shows how that relates to grace and mercy. So you have to ask then, why would God want us to do good works? And our catechism gives us three answers. That God has purposes for your good works. And it shows us three of them. And the first phrase was, so that, our, you, so that our lives may show love and gratitude to God. Romans 12, 1 and 2, because I'm running out of time. I want to save some time for question and answer. I'll read it to you. Romans 12, 1 and 2. How many of you know Romans 1 through 11? Kind of what the gist is of Romans 1 through 11. Chapters 1 through 11. It's like God saves, Right? <laughs> I mean, if we just really simplify it, God saves. God shows his mercies in spite of us. So then you get to Romans 12, and the first word is therefore. So therefore, in light of everything Paul said in Romans 1 through 11, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, in light of the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Your spiritual worship. Worship here, and the way he's using it, is a response of gratitude to what's been said in Romans 1 through 11. He saves you so that you just give your life to him and thanking him. And then, isn't that what John says in 1 John four nineteen? We love him because he first loved us. I mean, so many of us learned that as children. He, we love him because he first loved us. Our hearts pour out gratitude. The purpose for your works is worship. The purpose for, I'm sorry, the purpose for doing good works as a result of being saved is worship. The second reason that our catechism says is so that we may be assured of our faith by the fruits. And that's what Josh had mentioned there. 1 Thessalonians 1, 3 through 5. You got to see this one because this one's a little bit, you could read it fast and not see it. So go there to 1 Thessalonians. If you're still in Titus, it's back a few pages. Right before Timothy's. 1 Timothy 1, look at verse 3 through 5. We'll start at verse 2. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly, mentioning you in our prayers. What does he remember mentioned in his prayers? Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For, that's a reason, a grounds, a purpose statement because we know brothers loved by God that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word 
but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. It's, it's very fascinating to me there because how does Paul know that the Thessalonian church is chosen by God? That phrase starts off with the word for. Well, that means what came before is what he's saying is the reason for why he could see that they were chosen by God. Because he saw in their lives, right there it says, a work of faith, a labor of love, and a steadfastness of hope. And then he knows that they're chosen also because he saw that the Holy Spirit did that work. That's what it says after that. The Holy Spirit came in full power and enabled that to happen. So once again, even the works that you're doing is God's power in you. Okay, third reason for our works, third purpose for our works that we see it in Scripture, so that by our godly behavior, others may be won to Christ. First Peter, go almost to the end of your Bible. First Peter, chapter 2. 1 Peter 2.12 says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Why? Why do the right thing? Why do the right thing? So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. In other words, people will see your good works and either, as Kathy pointed out, they might, that might draw them in and God changes something when they see that. Or, and this verse talks about the end. They're going to glorify God at the end. If they don't do it now, they'll glorify God at the end. Every knee will bow, right? So those purposes, though they relate to God's mission for people on earth. Think about those three purposes. What's the first purpose? In your own words, what's the first purpose of good works? Worship. Gratitude. Worship. Gratitude. What's the second purpose? Assurance. You can see in yourself that there's a work of God happening. And the third purpose is so others may see. Now, what do we say God's mission is on earth? What's God's mission for people on earth? What's your purpose? Glorify God. God. What did you say, Mark? Yeah. To restore mankind back to our, the purpose he made them for, and that purpose is to glorify him, to spread his glory everywhere. How is it that those three purposes, worship, gratitude, assurance, and others seen relate to the mission of God. Do you see the, the direct connection? Why would you worship and glorify God? Because that's what he made you to do. Those works that he's made you for relate back to his purpose so that people can enjoy him forever. That's the purpose. If you read through the book of Ezekiel, find one of the key ways of reading your Bible is looking for repeated words either repeated words, synonyms, ideas, and just kind of follow those through. Like in, a, in the book of Ezekiel, you're going to see the repeated phrase, so that they may know me, or so that they may know that I am the Lord. And Ezekiel 39, says, 7 says, In my holy name I will make known in the midst of my people Israel 
and I will not let my holy name be profaned anymore. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. And if we go back to John 17 in Jesus' prayer, he says, and this is eternal life, verse 3 of 17, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's the mission of God. The mission of God is to make himself known and for you to enjoy knowing him. And how does that happen? It's by him fixing your heart, taking your dead heart, giving you a new heart, restoring in you that image so that you can worship, be assured that he's doing that work, and then show others. When you do that, you should have great satisfaction of, you don't have to worry about, am I in the right job? Maybe your job stinks at the moment, but you don't have to worry about that part because if I'm showing others what he looks like by persevering in a lousy job, I'm able to worship him out of gratitude. You can rest in the fact that you're doing what you're made to do. So, questions. Why does this matter? I have a couple of thoughts, but I want to leave it up to you first. Why does this question matter? Last week's question is, do works play at all in our salvation? The answer is no. This week's question is, what in the world are works for then? Do we, do we still have to do works? Yes. To complete the mission that God has for us. So why does that matter for your life today? Why does it matter? Josh. Yeah. Exactly. That's one of the thoughts that I had. Is This helps us see whether there's a true salvation, a true work of God going on in our hearts because I'm doing things. I'm concerned about my sin. I'm convicted by my sin. I work at pleasing him. It, it, it counters a false assurance of salvation. Yeah, good. What else? Why else does it matter? Todd. Yeah. It connects us to God. It connects us to people. It gives us something to be motivated about. It's it eliminates meaninglessness. Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. What else? How, why else does this matter? Maybe why is it helpful or encouraging to you to review this today? Donna. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. I, I see myself changing more and more over time. And that's sanctification, making me holy, making me like Christ. Good. Right. It makes me happy. Right? When I, when I get to see God, it makes me happy. When I see him in his people, it makes me happy. When they see Christ in me, that makes them happy. 
That's a good happy. That's the happy you're all longing for. That hole is being filled, and you have that happiness. It's excellent. I haven't gotten the mean look, so I'm going to pray, and then we'll be good. <laughs> Father, thank you that you love us so much. You took us rebels and gave us hearts to believe and drew us to yourself in spite of us trying to earn our way. We would have never gotten anywhere close. And then you saved us and made us who are making us who you want us to be. Would you help us to not lose sight of that? Would you encourage our hearts when we're discouraged about whether we are doing the right thing? Would you use the, these truths, this question, this answer to help us in our sanctification that we would become more and more like your son Jesus? It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.